Come one, come all. This is L.D. the man, the first of his name. King of the Andals, the Rhinor and the First Men. Lord of the Seven Kingdoms and Protector of the Realm. And joining me, once again, there are rumors that he was spotted in the stable with a, a rare dagger and 78 silver stags. It is my master of whispers, Lord Michael. Michael. What do your little birds bring you you word of today? Well, uh, my little birds have been wondering where we are. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess we took we took a week off. We were a little busy, but uh, we're back and excited to get into these chapters. Um, I don't like you accusing me of uh, an attempted murder on Bran, which we will get to in in uh, in Cat's chapter. I'm not sure if I was accusing you of murdering Bran. Maybe maybe you were delivering the items. Maybe you were just a, a member. Ooh. I don't know. I, I'm just reporting, you know, some sightings that I've I've heard uh, around town. That's all I, I can do. Right I now. do like nefarious plots. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, you know, those stables are quite bare right now. Some horses just went north to the to the wall. Some some have left the King's Road to go to King's Landing. So it, it wouldn't be hard for somebody to hide in there. Mm, that's true that's true some fresh mounts for the wall mm-hmm. all right let's uh kick things off with our quick little summary of the three chapters we are doing uh this is Tyrion two uh this is catlin what what is this catlin three i didn't that... i think this is catlin three yeah i did not mark these down i'll certainly have them correct for the uh podcast title but then obviously and easily this is sansa one so that's that's easy easy to jump into yep this might be Catelyn 2 now that I'm thinking about it. She Oh no no no. This is definitely Catelyn 3. This is Catelyn 3. This is Catelyn 3. I got that for sure now. Um the loin lovemaking one is Catelyn 2. So um mm. We have Tyrion travels north to the wall with a band including Jon Snow who is quickly realizing a hard truth. Catelyn Stark continues to take 24-hour care of Bran until a major incident rocks Winterfell. Sansa Stark comes into some trouble on the King's Road by the fabled Trident. So now let's convene the small council. Soon it'll be time in the books for the small council to meet. So let's let's it dive will. into these chapters. It's the king. It's the, the master of whispers. We're going to break things down. First, we start with what am I honestly? This is one of my favorite chapters of the whole in the whole book, I think. Like I really feel like this is when stuff starts to pick up. Obviously, this book has an actual uh, epilogue with our guy, Raymore, uh, Waymore Royce. But it feels like, you know, the first few chapters are a bit of a, a prologue for the whole series. Um, you know, where mm-hmm. we're being introduced to all these characters, to the land. It feels like now we're really starting to get going. Well, we're starting to spread out now. Now we're starting mm-hmm. to push out of Winterfell. Obviously, Daenerys is already in, in Essos. And uh, you saw a little bit in, in Ned's uh, last chapter about them on the road but this is where we're starting to really spread out people are leaving winterfell and we're starting to see the other parts of westeros and uh, that's actually a great way to categorize that by you mike because i'd say that is one of the signature things of uh game of thrones especially the show and the song of ice and fire series in general is sort of the way you have all these characters and then they're all in different places and you get different combinations at different times you know we get some Tyrion and john right in this chapter and then you know after that there's Tyrion and ron there's Tyrion and varus there's Tyrion and Littlefoot. like you know what i'm saying you really get a lot of uh different pairings of these characters that always makes things interesting 
It does. And that's that's a good point uh, with Tyrion, with John, because this is kind of an extension of what we talked about in the previous um, episode where John and Tyrion kind of have like a cool relationship uh, or friendship kind of building, I guess you could call it. Mm-hmm. Um, they definitely have some interesting like talks together. And and I think there's a mutual respect there. And you see that kind of build during this chapter a little bit. Um, I really, really want to start off uh, this section of the podcast by really just a start of Tyrion 1. This first little paragraph, I think, is fantastic. Uh, it just goes, the North went on forever. Tyrion Lannister knew the maps as well as anyone. But a fortnight on the wild track that passed for the King's Road up here had brought home the lesson that the map was one thing and the land quite another. After that, they just do a great job, George R. R. Martin, of setting the scene, letting you visualize what the North looks like. He talks about these little flint hills that have watchtowers and the thick woods they go into and then how suddenly, you know, there's no villages, there's no holdfast, it's just land as far as the eye can see and those little flinty hills turn into great big mountains well and it's cool too because in just what is that like two or three sentences Mm -hmm. you get a lot out of that and it's just Mm -hmm. that like you you see Tyrion like realizing he's like oh I study all this stuff but like this is why I'm going to the wall because I want to see what it actually is like outside of other accounts from people or a map drawn, you know, back then you're drawing a map and it's like, what kind of, you have no technology. Like what it, your map is going to be so useful. It's like a line, in like, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just like, oh, and, and then the line goes to the wall and it's like, well, this is not what the map looks like at all. So, sometimes I make fun of people who are like, can't drive without their GPS, but like, even when- I'm one of those people. Yeah, but like- That's me. Even, even if you're not using your GPS, it's like, oh, that sign over there says, you know, Cherry Hill, the town I'm going to, four miles. I can, some, I can, these guys have nothing. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, yeah. because there's some woods and then a line. Like, it doesn't tell you how far things are. I don't even know if they have units of measurement, certainly not miles or kilometers. I think they might use leagues. I'm not sure. But like, their, their whole, like his whole, life the, the whole party's lives are in the hands of benjamin because he's the only one who knows how to get to the wall pretty much mm-hmm. exactly and also um before we kind of continue with the action of the chapter and what's going on because this is something else that's kind of sprinkled in throughout it a great job of really uh, uh detailing and making you feel like how cold it must have been like there's a great line from Tyrion where he says, like, you know, I brought my very warmest clothes with me from Casterly Rock only to discover that they weren't nearly warm enough. Yeah. Like that's there, there's only so much, you know, you can really you can really do about about that kind of weather, especially if you're not used to it. I feel like it's it's one of those things that you're either used to or you're not to an extent. Well, and they're not even north of the wall yet. Like this oh, is just yeah. the beginning of where it really starts to get cold. And I did think it was funny when uh you know, there's the part where Tyrion uh, gets offered the cloak from Benjen, mm-hmm. you know, as as like a, you know, just like a friendly thing to do, I guess. And Tyrion's like, well, he didn't think I'd accept this. Joke's on him. I'm taking it. Like, he's I gonna love be great line that really does some characterization of the whole Lannister family when he says uh, Lannisters take what is offered to them, no matter what. Like, like I, I love that line. Yeah, that is it- great. It reminds me of uh, the the billionaire owner of IKEA 
famously um it's one of those people that like if he's at a hotel room he's taking like the packets of ketchup and like you know any amenities with him he's stuffing them in his pockets that's what i think of when he says the lannisters take what is offered like no matter exactly what. Yeah. just rich is all hell and are gonna take anything that's offered because mm-hmm. that is like a smart thing to do yeah still. I mean, it's like you know what i mean when you're kind of out in the wilderness you know um but then so so they start this at first this trek is just benjin Tyrion, Tyrion's two guards, and John. And I will say this: Benjamin is and a, a bunch of, of fresh mounts. Well, the we're oh, mounts oh, and well. the fresh mounts. Great call, great call. They they uh, Winterfell spared some some horses for the for the Night's Watch. But um, I will say this: Benjamin doesn't like Tyrion. He has this big, you know, similar to, to Ned. He doesn't trust the Lannisters. He doesn't like the Lannisters. Dude, you're like living with like rapers and thieves and murderers. Like, do you really have like? Have you not been taught not to judge a book by its cover yet? Well, I think I think what he goes by uh, when it comes to like the people of the Night's Watch, and yes, they are like criminals and such, but <laughs> they go and they are about like the Brotherhood thing. So they go and they, you know, swear to the Night's Watch and kind of become a family there because that's all mm-hmm. they have. And I think he respects that more than just you know Tyrion. you know he just looks at oh this is rich lannister like i have no they, they don't earn anything like i don't i don't need to be friends with them. he can empathize with blue collar crime but not white collar crime basically yeah i think that's a good description of how, how <laughs> that goes how his mindset of it i do enjoy um as well uh, and this kind of goes to what you brought up with the the benjamin in the cloak is i love how Tyrion says like oh man like i couldn't even feel my legs they were so sore and so aching but he was like i would not complain and give benjamin stark like the satisfaction that is so relatable you know it's it's that yes that is very Tyrion to a t he is so about like he's like if it's making me uncomfortable i will let no one know so no one gains an upper hand in this situation because he is about like you know and that's something that follows him the whole time throughout the series it's like he is like constantly like ha- trying to have the like mental upper hand mm-hmm. in whatever like relationship or situation he's in with someone. What like he all- wants them to think, yeah, he has. That's, all he, that's all he has. He says mm-hmm. he says it in this chapter. You yeah, know what I mean, it, there's actually um, on page one hundred three for me. I know we have like kind of different uh, mm-hmm. page setups with the books, but there's a huge uh, paragraph where it's like half the page where he's describing. He's like, look at me, you know. Yeah, like my legs are short and twisted. Like my head's too big. Like my I can't swing a sword. My arms are too short. And he's like, he's like, my mind is my weapon. Like that's all mm-hmm. I have. You know, uh, you know, my brother has a sword. King Robert has his warhammer. I have my mind, and a mind needs books, as a sword needs a whetstone to keep its edge. So like, he is all about like he's like I am a smart person mm-hmm. I'm going to make sure I'm smart because that is what I have to offer as opposed to like a physical upper hand which in a way also kind of and you know it, it's definitely like a, a commentary or an allegory on sort of you know um people with privilege versus people without it but like Jamie is obviously extremely talented like a phenomenal one of the best swordsmen ever in in the seven kingdoms Circe, incredibly beautiful, you know, a renowned beauty. 
but neither of them give a shit about serving their house at all or really society like they just want to do what they want to do like that idea from Tyrion that like I need to have value like I need to you know there has to be something that I can do that people in my house and my family can say like oh we need you know we're about to go on a journey who knows that area oh Tyrion's read all the maps he can give us a, some information that we'll need you know he he feels like he needs to bring something to the table well, you see that when he um, when he's serving on uh, the King's Council, I believe, in when he gets to King's Landing mm -hmm. instead of his father. Yes. And, uh, you know, and he's making all these like smart decisions and like having mm -hmm. success there and not getting credit for it, obviously. But uh, but like you're right, like he does want to have value and show that he like can bring something to the table as opposed to, like you said, uh, Jamie and Cersei are just kind of like they don't really care about making their family look good so much as just like keeping the family like, like safe. Like they do care about their family, but it's in a different way than Tyrion's like, let's prove mm -hmm. our value. And they are more like, we are just the best because we are Lannisters yes. and let's keep it that way. Mm -hmm. Like, like Jamie certainly, you know, obviously Tywin hates that Jamie is in the King's guard because now Tyrion's his heir. It would have been one thing if Jamie, you know, aspired to be in the king's guard because he dreamt of honor and this and that jamie's in the king's guard because when cersei was going to marry robert she was like hey if you're in the king's guard we'll be in king's landing together and we can bang right like that's all it was now you know what i mean i do think jamie i do think jamie does uh like what he respects is like is like battle acumen and like mm -hmm. and like the prowess with a sword like you see later when he's talking to uh Barristan sell me and he like mm -hmm. and he gets like very like he's like oh I remember that battle like I remember yep. seeing you do this and this and I was Arthur like Dane. all struck and it's like mm -hmm. right yes so like that is what he respects and kind of admires and that's that's different but again like you said that's not why he joined yep. uh, the Kingsguard he joined the Kingsguard to be with Cersei so he didn't have to be at Casterly Rock mm -hmm. And um, really quick, because I'm about to bring up something that, you know, I imagine we're going to spend a lot of time on and this kind of a, a big crux of this chapter. I just wanted to get this little note out of the way. Tyrion sounds like he is a sick road setup. Um, I made like a, a mark to note this. Tyrion was never much use in making camp or breaking one. Too small, too hobbled, too in the way. So while Stark and Urin and the other men erected rude shelters, tended the horses and built a fire... It became his custom to take his fur and a wineskin and go off by himself to read. On the 18th night of their journey, the wine was a rare sweet amber from the Summer Isles they had brought all the way north from Casterly Rock, and the book A Rumination of the History and Properties of Dragons, with Lord Stark's permission, Tyrion had borrowed a few rare volumes from Winterfell's library and packed them for the ride north. That's, this man, like, He's got all of these skins of wine, like enough to last him, you know, a, a month's long journey. This rare amber that he describes as cool fire when he drinks it because it's so cool. Yeah. Outside. Tell me that does not just sound awesome. I mean, he's got, you're right. He's got a great setup. He doesn't have mm -hmm. to do anything. He yeah. comes back later when he's like, you know, from talking with John, he comes back and they're making a stew and he tastes it and he's yeah. like, you know, more pepper. Like, yeah, he's yeah. like, you know, he does a little taste test and he's like, well, let me give my, uh, my opinion on the food now. Like yeah, he doesn't yeah. have to do anything, but um, uh, that him, him going away from the camp. And first of all, let's talk about Yorin because we didn't really yes, get into him. That so was the big Yorin, thing I wanted to bring up, but also yeah, so uh, Yorin is like a recruiter. Mm -hmm. For the Night's Watch, he's what they call it a traveling crow. Is what they call it. His his main 
job is to like leave the night's watch and to kind of go around. And in the old days, it was more like, you know, almost like a preacher, like to talk about, you know, oh, like, you know, uh, the night's watch was honorable. We need men like do your duty. Nowadays, it's much more like, oh, you got anybody in the cells? You know, you got you got any bass right. lying around or, or, you know, somebody with dishonor of it that we can maybe snatch up. And um, with him from the fingers, uh, you know, a little foreshadowing mayhaps of little fingers pending arrival mm. is uh, two rapers. And John's just like, huh? Rapers? And and it's funny because everyone else is just like, oh, yeah, rapers. You know what I mean? And this is a big part of this chapter and the early themes uh, and storylines of A Game of Thrones is John's rude awakening to the truth of the Night's Watch. And, you know, this right. So, yeah, uh, sorry. So, but that's that's right. It's when he like when they say, oh, it's a couple of rapers and and, Mm -hmm. like Tyrion like looks at John and he's like, okay. He's starting to realize like what he got himself into. He knows he's he's like made a mistake at this point because he, like you said, he sees John kind of like questioning and being like rapers, like what's up with that? And he's like he's starting to see that like the Night's Watch is not made up of men like Benjamin Stark, like yep. from a from a great family, just like you know going there for honor. He's like that is not what it's all about, and now John's starting to see it. Which, by the way, takes me right back to the very beginning of this entire book. Why does everybody act like Waymore Royce is such an asshole when he's actually doing the thing that, like, John dreamt of the Night's Watch being? He isn't even from the North. Like, it's one thing in the North, at least, there's some feeling of duty to the Night's Watch and respect for it. This man was chilling in the south of the Vale and was like, I'm a third son. I'm gonna go join the Night's Watch. That man should be applauded. He should he should be a hero, which we are making. Well, I think, well, Waymore Royce is a hero, and we know mm. that. Um, but I I think they the other members of Night's Watch were a little uh, wary of him because like he came and kind of like expected to get like the royal treatment because he is like a highborn. Well, maybe but, he like, deserved John it. does. That is what John does though when he gets there. Like he has to get humbled when he when he yeah. gets to the Night's Watch too. Yeah, well, so, maybe, maybe it's somebody... very similar. Maybe some of these guys do deserve the royal treatment if they're royal and living great lives and deciding to do this out of duty rather than getting caught raping somebody and it being like, oh, I'd rather this than get my dick chopped off. Well, I think Waymar had had a, a bad break. And if he didn't, like, things could have gone different. Yeah. Like, why not him? He could have been the next. Yeah, great. Why not him? He could have been. I'm thinking of those old 2008 Obama posters with, like, the blue and red paint that said, like, change. Waymar Royce could have been the the lord commander after after the old bear instead of john yeah um but i will say this too um i do enjoy the part of john's rude awakening is just seeing urin who is an actual brother of the night's watch and he's described as like having this twisted shoulder and and this fl- or uh w- lice ridden like cloak that he's yeah. wearing his beard his beard and hair are full of lice they say yeah that sounds horrible they say he stinks it's like dude if you're traveling like like that is one of those things where it's like even outside the north like you know if he shows up to the fingers to get some rapers and he shows up to you know lord quellwells who i believe is a lord in the the fingers is like man said is like hey i'm part of the night's watch doing business here they're gonna have to provide him like a room and some food you know wash up a little bit like it, would it kill you well, that's the thing. He probably has like better accommodations 
for a decent amount of time than like most of the Night's Watch. Like he's oh, going yeah. and visiting castles, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And being like, give me some of your prisoners and they're, you know, feeding them and whatnot. So he doesn't have a bad gig, Yorin. Yes. And, um, but I do think what's really interesting here is that, you know, all of the Stark children are sort of forced to grow up fast after, you know, mm-hmm. these chapters we've already seen. This is basically John growing up right in front of us immediately. Like, like there's a scene where he, he has maybe the him, him and Rob probably have the quickest wake up. Mm-hmm. But even but like Rob, you know, there's still some glory in theory for or not even in theory. Right. Totally, you know, yeah. Rob is is acting as the next Lord. Basically, John literally just found out that like he's about to sign his like his life away. Like there was already that whole part. Like you don't know what you're signing up for because like you can't sleep with women. Forget about that. Like he just found out that he's like going to be hanging out with a bunch of criminals and stinky smelling lice ridden men and doing something yeah. that everyone else makes fun of. And he literally says like, eh, it is what it is then. He's fine. Well, that is what he said. So, so that, so when, when Tyrion, you know, has his good setup and he's like, I'm going to go read a book and drink some wine while you guys, you know, prepare me supper and a, and a place to sleep. So he goes off and he's reading uh, about, dragons Mm -hmm. so let's talk about the dragons again so here again is like a little bit of another foreshadowing moment to that theory you you said that uh that Tyrion maybe was uh uh uh, a a targaryen because he is like he says he had a morbid fascination with uh with dragons so he is like obsessed with dragons he's reading this book about dragons he kind of like thinks back to as a child when he was uh, in King's Landing, and he's like exploring the uh, mm-hmm. the dragon uh, skulls and everything, and was like really fascinated by them. Thought they were beautiful, and uh, it's just like again, like it's another thing that you kind of take note of looking back, and you're like, this is like kind of this seems like it matters mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. he keeps bringing up dragons. Well, also uh, they mention a dragon bone like what dragon bone is and all that in this chapter. Uh, and literally in the next chapter, there's a dagger with a dragon bone hilt. So that's some kind yes. of immediate payoff and whatnot there. But also um, before we get too serious into the dragon thing, I, I know I keep talking about this. I kind of harped on it before with the, the printing press thing. Why is Ned Stark just like, oh yeah, Tyrion, just take these rare scrolls on dragons we have out into the wilderness on a hollow march to the to the wall. Like brother, especially not- someone who he doesn't trust. Yeah, like he doesn't trust taking, the Lannisters. Shouldn't we be taking care of these scrolls? Like this is all we got on dragons. Apparently. Well, I think I think what it what it also kind of shows is that again, like Ned's probably like, yeah, whatever, man, old scrolls, and oh, as yeah. opposed to Tyrion being like, dude, you this don't even valuable. know what you have here. Like yeah, this is super cool. valuable, super rare. Like. I want to read this and appreciate this. And like, you guys don't really give a shit about it. You just have it because you're an old family. Mm-hmm. So it kind of goes to the point that like Tyrion really does want to like know a lot about yeah. a lot of shit and, ha- and use that to add value to wherever he is, whatever mm-hmm. position he's in. So then um, John comes over and he's, li- and you know, he asks Tyrion what he's doing and, and it goes into that whole paragraph you, you read before. And it's, it is very funny. Cause like Tyrion, Starts explaining the thing to John about why he reads so much, and he goes, "Like you, bastard! What is it you see in front of me?" And John's like, "Is is this one of your tricks?" I love any anytime somebody asks if something is one of someone's tricks, I will always eat it up. 
but you know they go back and forth he explains the whole thing about like you know about him needing to be smart and then that's also when him and john have the whole conversation like you do know the night's watch is like a bunch of losers right john at first gets very sad and of course Tyrion is like i realized then he's only 14 i actually felt bad i was about to either count or like say something nice to him or reach out to pat his shoulder i'm not sure which and then ghost pounces on Tyrion and takes him mm-hmm. down and um, well so so Mm-hmm. Wait, go ahead finish that. no no no. you you go you go so i i thought of you know after that that paragraph that i i read where you know Tyrion's talking about why he reads and like look at me like i'm all messed up uh in my body and everything mm-hmm. and it just the next sentence is the boy absorbed that in uh that all in silence and i think that again shows that like what we talked about in john's first chapter when he's at the feast and it's that he like he is a little more astute and like mm-hmm. thoughtful in observant. how he like looks at, yeah observing how he looks at things in the book than it is in the show mm-hmm. and i think that's just like another just a little one sentence he just like you know observed it all in silence and then again at the end it's like the very one of the last sentences of the chapter Tyrion's like going to sleep and he notices after they had this talk about how the night's watch is like kind of fucked up that john just kind of like looking into the fire like staring Mm-hmm. And and Tyrion like you know goes to bed like kind of sadly smiling yeah. like you know this is a smart kid and like he's kind of given himself to almost a wasted existence at which, the wall. Kind of how Tyrion sees it. Which by the way he hasn't like said any vows yet. Can he just go home? I feel like it's one of those things where he's kind of like said out loud that he's going to do it, and now it's like, well, how especially, do I back out? Especially now? with Catelyn Stark being the one. Right, hoping. he can't go yeah, back there. Yeah, but um. I w- so so Tyrion, when he's explaining that the Night's Watch is a bunch of losers, he famously says, you know, oh, they're protecting the world from snarks and grumpkins. Uh, Tyrion really falls in love with the snark and grumpkins thing. He he really rides that yeah. bit into the ground over his next few chapters. Um, he does. But, but um, uh, Ghost pounces on Tyrion, and Tyrion hurts his back. He falls down and he asks John, he's like, will you help me up? And then John like kind of smirks and he's like, if you ask me nicely. And Tyrion, this is also... A I, very- I, I read that and I'm like, are they flirting? <laughs> John basically stole his hat at a party and put it on backwards. He was like, my hat now. Um, yeah. But um, you know how... Um, this is a great example of Tyrion's character as well because Tyrion's like mad at first and then he's like, this isn't the first time I've been humiliated in my life. Like, I can swallow yeah. this. But then he's like, you know, honestly, I probably deserve this one though. Like, I was, be- you know, really reveling and exposing to Jon Snow, like, you know, this. So he asks him nicely and John picks him up and he's like, why did the beast attack me? And John, with what I will call the only good Grumpkin line in this book, goes... Perhaps he thought you were a grumpkin, which is very funny. Yeah. And he starts laughing. Well, and, and you see them kind of loosening yeah. up with each other, which goes back to like, this is like a building and like kind of important in the future relationship that is kind of developing. And it's short. They're only with each other for like, I think Tyrion ends up staying at the wall for like a month or so. So yeah. it is like a period of time. But, you know, in the grand scheme of how long the series is, it's not like a huge period of time. But you see it kind of developing into something that you're like, all right, there's kind of a trust brewing between them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is like kind of a cool thing from the start because you're like two outcasts and Tyrion's trying to be like, dude, like we need to stick together. Like this is like, we are going to be looked at all bastards, you know, dwarves, oh, like people like us, like, they are looked, they are looked at like poorly. And all you have is like what value you can bring to the world and prove to people. 
and like you do that and you help each other out and that's like kind of his his thought process mm-hmm. as spoiled a, like a rich kid as he is like he does have that kind of mindset of like you know helping out my own and his own is not lannisters his own mm-hmm. he as you really see him develop is like people who are downtrodden that mm-hmm. is who he like wants to help and you really kind of see the importance of this when they return to camp because benjamin excuse me sorry a little hiccup there benjamin's like john like where are you you wandered off from camp like it's dangerous up here you can't do that and then Tyrion, who's like with him and who Benjamin doesn't like, is all like, oh, we were like hanging out with the Grumpkins. And then John like smiles at him and Tyrion laughs. And Benjamin literally is like, what's going on here? And it's like, yeah. you know, this connection that they're able to share. They don't have the prejudices of their of these other people from their families. Like they have a much better connection and are able to break things down. And, you know, in a perfect world where John is welcome at Winterfell and Tyrion's welcome at Casterly Rock, this would have been able to, this relationship would have been able to break down some of those divides between the uh, Lannisters and the Starks, probably. Um, One thing that I wanted to bring up here that I think is interesting and just like a question worth asking, and I don't really have a, uh, an answer to it. I wanted to see what you thought is, why do you think George R. R. Martin decided to do this chapter from Tyrion's point of view rather than John's? Both have been established as point of view characters by now, and it could have been either of them. Um, well, I think, I like, and again, this goes back to that theory stuff. It does seem like he was trying to push a bit of, like, information through about the dragon stuff. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, he does, you know, he describes to John that he's reading about dragons because he thinks they're cool. And he's like, oh, when I was a kid, like I had dreams about like dragons burning my dad who I hated and shit like that. But he also, you know, uses the memory of Tyrion to kind of describe like as a child really being fascinated with them Mm -hmm. and like going down and finding the skulls and like, you know, and like standing in them and, and like feeling that they he sensed that they that they wanted fire so he like put a torch in like you know the mouth of one of them mm-hmm. and it, i think he was like really trying to drive something home about the connection of Tyrion to the dragons and maybe that is not so much of like maybe Tyrion's supposed to be a targaryen as much as like it foreshadows him meeting up with daenerys later on and kind of joining her side or even and, just uh, the dragons I, coming in this book you know or just the dragons, because he says, he's, you know, John's like, why are you reading about dragons? Like, there's no dragons alive. And he's yeah. like, well, so they say, you know what I mean? So he, he, as much as he's like, oh, grumpkins and snarks are, you know, just made up fairy tales. He does kind of seem to have a little bit of like, well, you know, I'm going to the wall because I've never seen it. And like, you know, people would probably tell you if they've never seen it, that it's not really as tall as people say. Like, he wants to see everything mm-hmm. that the world has to offer. And I think um, as well that maybe they uh, George R. R. Martin wanted to kind of show um, John's like realizing of the hard truth a little more lightly first and then really get into it more once he's actually at the wall and he's met some of his so-called brothers and sees his living conditions and all that, you know? Um, right, and he's able to describe John's like like realization mm-hmm. through Tyrion's eyes of like of like you know, and that's almost more powerful than like it being John's chapter and him just being like, "Oh shit, I fucked up!" Like in yeah. his head, it's like Tyrion can see on his face the like, "Oh mm-hmm. fuck!" Like yeah. this is not what I thought it was, and the fact that he can see that on his face is like outside of like John's point of view is like almost more like telling. Mm-hmm. Also, um, I really kind of realized that going to the wall and becoming a member of the Night's Watch, it's a lot like becoming a cop in real life and thinking you're, like, going to have this sick, like, 
they're going on car chases and all this and that. And then you just work in the suburbs and like, you know, you're, you're answering a phone call. Cause like an old lady's nervous or, you know, you're pulling over people for speeding. It's really that right. Who will wake up. Call, hey, that is know? a good description. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah thank you. And then actually um, I'll have a little more information about some of the dragon uh, stuff that we've read during making the eight, but let's move on now to uh, what we have officially decided is Catlin three, uh, which is another, it's a great chapter. And almost like, like, like there's, there's almost like a, a time skip in this chapter. I guess there is one, you know? So this is like, I guess you could call like Bran getting pushed out of the window, like the first like major event that happens. Like, mm -hmm. I think this is again, like this is a huge, this is like the first like huge thing that happens outside of that. Like this is, yeah. and it kind of ties into it. Cause again, it's related to Bran. So uh, yeah. So Kat is hanging out in Bran's room being like useless to everyone. Just like, yeah, you know, a, a grieving mother, Hanging out, just, like, trying to stay by his side. Yeah. I suppose so. But mm -hmm. Rob comes in and he's like, you know, or well, well, actually, I guess Lewin, yeah, Lewin yeah, comes yeah. in first. Because I love this part. Maester this Lewin is a great part. Yeah, yeah. Maester so, Lewin. so Maester Lewin comes in and he's like, all right, we need to start making appointments. And like, this costs us a lot of money. Do you want to know how much? And like, Kat has no time. She is like, dude, yeah. I am taking care of Bran. He's like, well, you're not really, but okay. Yeah, yeah. You know. He's like, he's like, all that can be done has been done. You're just sitting and staying awake and not eating and being dirty. Like, why don't you, you know, yeah. we, we got to review how many pigs we need to buy because we just had a feast. And it shows, but it does show like, even in the, like, and it shows kind of the job of the maesters too. Like you start to get like a real feel that they are not just like doctors. They are also like running the show sort of, he comes in and he's like, you know, we need a new master of, of horses. We need a new kennel master. Like all this, they all went with, with Ned to King's Landing, and she's like, I don't care about any of this. And he's yeah. like, no, this is important. Like, this stuff needs to get handled. I have written down here just, Maester Lewin's a great maester. Like, this guy, this guy's just yes. taking care. Yeah. Part of the reason, I think, why the Starks just seem like the good guys is, like, how many maesters have we seen in the show that are, like, corrupt or crooked or just bad at their job? And then this dude's, like, he's, like, taking like care of business. most of them. Yeah. You know, yeah. he's he's like on it. He's like he's like yo, like we we got to do hiring and firing. Like we don't have a head of the guard. That sounds important to me. You know, a head yeah. of the guard. So, so Cat basically is like, I have no time for this. I can't think about this right now. And Rob kind of just whisks in and has like mm -hmm. a gray line where he's just like, I'll make the appointments. And he's mm -hmm. just like, so he's like, I'm going to handle this shit. Uh, and Lewin again pulls a, a list of of names out of his many sleeve pockets. Mm -hmm. Uh, and gives it to Rob. So Rob, you kind of see, is now stepping up. Like Rob is like, I understand the assignment. I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be head of this household. Yeah, I'm supposed to be head of this household, and I'm going to do that. So he's like, Mom is crazy right now. Yeah. I'm going to handle this shit. Well, I will say this: I do love how Mister Lewin is like laying in the cat. He's like, like Lady Stark. Like we need these appointments. We need to get on them. Like you're you're a wreck right now. You're helping no one. Come on. And then literally, Rob's like. I'll do it. Let me see that list of appointments. He hands it to Rob and Rob goes like, ah, yes, these are good men. He hands it back. He goes, we'll do this tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, he really doesn't it. handle it. Yeah, and uh, He kind of just says, I think Lewin's fine with it because he's just like, okay, at least this is going to like, yeah, yeah, get, like this is, is going to get somewhere eventually. It's fantastic. Whatever. Tomorrow it is. Well, because Rob's really there to kind of Talk get his time. mom 
Yeah. Yes, because he's like, because he actually kind of calls out Cat here. He's yeah. like, you know, she's like, Brand needs me right now, and he's like, he's like, I need you. He's like, I can't do this all by myself. Like I'm 14. Like I'm trying my best, and like clearly, but like, and it says like his voice cracks. Like mm-hmm. it does a good dis- job of describing that. Like he is like clearly overwhelmed and doing his best to handle everything. But again, like we said with John, like he's kind of got to grow up like pretty yeah. quick. And again, it is a. A, a power position he's in but it's mm-hmm. almost too it is yeah it's too much for him to handle he's like rick Khan's following me around yeah. he's three years old he's clutching at my leg i'm trying to do this he doesn't he thinks everyone left like his you know his brothers and sisters left one of them's dying you're yeah. out here like and that part's you know i'm taking care too, of a three-year-old to, to what you said about like rob's age is that like you know and and when he comes in catlin notices that he has a real sword in it you know in his sheath which obviously the whole thing with joffrey before was that they were fighting with wooden swords and then blunted tourney ones um and rob you know at first he's like rickon needs you he's only three for crying out loud and you know then eventually like you know because he's trying to be older he's trying to be the man of the house for lack of a better word um you know he it's not till the end where he's like and and I need you. And like, you know, he kind of doesn't want to seem like he needs the help. He's trying yeah. to be like the rock, but you know, he's like, I, and that's what he says. He says, I can't do this all on my own because he's given it his best effort. You know, he's trying to do everything he can, but, but you know, he, he doesn't have, not only does he not have his mom there to help him, but he's actively worried for his mom, you know? Well, and that, that is the reason that Ned is like, you have to stay here because mm-hmm. Rob isn't ready for this yet. Like you are an adult. You've seen me do this. Like, he's like, you need to help Rob out. And she is like exactly doing the opposite of that. She's like making more trouble for Rob mm-hmm. kind of. And then, um, you know, Rob or Catelyn at one point, like right before Rob walks in, she says she realizes that she was like screaming at Lewin, which she's embarrassed of. Then when she's like talking to Rob and Rob's like telling her like, we need you, mom. And also like, you need to help yourself as well. Like you're in no condition to do anything right now. Catelyn realizes at one point that she has like collapsed on the ground, like crying at Rob. So she's really starting to kind of see how like she's gone too far with, with, you know her grief and and she's starting to realize some of that but then uh rob spots a fire which a few things first off catlin's response to the fire is hysteric like is low-key hysterical she's literally like help me move brand like they get an edge of the bed like like rob literally says fire and she's like oh brand we gotta move him if there's a fire because like that's gonna eventually get here and then he goes like the library tower is on fire which then catlin goes like Oh, thank God, because that can't get to Bran. How single-minded she is and how they show that, I love. I think that's great. Thank God that the priceless books are up in flames. Good good thing Tyrion took some. Yeah, maybe it is actually good that he that Ned sent some of them to the wilderness. But also, how do you handle a fire in a medieval society? Like, uh, dude, I thought the same thing. I was like, what do they do? Like, I'm like, I, and I was thinking too, I'm like, it seems like fires would probably be like, a more prevalent issue hay. than it's described in the book. Like, I feel like they would happen yeah. all the time. There's hay everywhere. Like, yeah. You know. Dude, I bet you this. There's definitely people, like, just running with handfuls of dirt, throwing that on the fire, which is not doing much. They, they so what are they throwing? Fire? Snowballs at it? Like, like how are they putting out the fire? Yeah. I thought the same thing when I was reading it. I'm like, this is, like, kind of handled fairly quickly by Rob. Rob and, yeah, like, Rob, like, is like, oh, And, like, they this. never say how. Yeah, Rob's like, I'll handle this. I imagine Rob just with like his sword out and people launching catapults of snow at the tower, you know? 
I feel like they almost just let it burn out and try and like contain it from spreading. Like, I feel like that's what you have to do in that situation. Mm -hmm. But while the fire's happening, um, which also um, the fire, they note the fire because the wolves start howling and uh, Catelyn's like, kill them, kill them all, which is like very- Yeah, she's crazy. Let's relax. But then, you know, fire happens. And then the next thing you know, a stupid bozo is inside of the room. I love the way they introduce him. Because they just say, um, she closed all the shutters with the fire. When she turned away from the window, the man was in the room with her. Like, it's just one sentence. Like, oh shit, like the man, you know, who's this? You're like, what man? It was kind of a cool way to do it, actually. Yeah. Instead of being like, she notices a man skulking into the room. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like the man's there. And you're like, what fucking man? Yeah, yeah. And then he just starts saying, you're not supposed to be here. No he one says that like four to. times. Yeah, and at one point it literally says he kept repeating stupidly, which I just love how they like kick this man while yeah. he's down, you know? So well, then- I kind of think that is it is important that they describe him that way and make mm-hmm. him seem like kind of just like a like idiot and just like because that is how the uh the Valyrian dagger is then brought into play. Like this mm-hmm. is clearly not something he should have access to. And also, you know, in a medieval society where only the really rich and noble read, uh, everyone kind of sounds stupid. That's where, like, Cockney English comes from. Like, them people talk like this. You know, they just didn't didn't know how how to speak and all that proper. But um, this guy pulls out his his dagger, and um, Catelyn, hat off to her. I imagine, Michael, this is where you mentioned that uh, Waymore Royce this is going to have to be our first Waymar Royce Courage Award. Yeah, this... Catelyn, because Catelyn, Cat, she all but says dance with me. Yeah, dude. She, you know what I mean? And goes, re- like, like, that really always gets me, that she just puts her hands on a dagger and, like, wrestles with this guy. Like, hey, like, you know, not to get all um, uh, Jordan Peterson here and talk about the biological differences between men and women, but in a medieval society, that's way more pronounced. Catelyn was raised to, like, sew and to count and to raise children. Like, that is it. Any man, poor, trained to fight, whatever, is, like, doing hard manual labor. You know what I'm saying? Like, like this guy, and she's just wrestling this blade hands first out of this guy's hands. Are you, this dude yanks out a handful of her hair that she's bleeding from the scalp and she doesn't give up. She's um, like biting this dude's yeah. hand and shit. Yeah, she kind of, I mean, considering she's unarmed and he has yeah. like an insanely like sharp dagger. And dude, she that, hasn't like, slept, she just, hasn't eaten? Yeah. Yeah, she's like, and she just like goes full like protective mom mode and yeah. just like attacks this dude, and it is kind of badass. Like I, I said I don't like Catelyn mm-hmm. at all, but this was pretty badass. Much, so she goes, yeah. So much credit to you there. for giving her the Waymar Royce Award. Uh, I respect that. She on gets God. the first Waymar Royce Award. I hope there's better recipients later on, but mm-hmm. she does get the first one. So yeah, so she's like, uh, she's like immediately like. He's here to here's he's here to kill Bran. Like I'm going at him. So she goes at him. She's like wrestling with him. Whatever. She's yeah. She grabs the blade like just mangles her hands. Yeah. Which probably oh. should get more mangled. The way they describe her like grabbing the blade like definitely her fingers should be getting cut off. And they well, don't they do like they all. do describe later like I do I do think they do a good job describing that it's mostly her palms. But like for the next couple yeah. of chapters that she's in, they do a very good job of saying like she doesn't have. Like, two of her fingers, she says, like, they'll never be able to bend again. You know she can't I mean? really do stuff, yeah. So, 
Yeah, so she's fighting him off. She, like, goes to the ground. He rips out her hair or whatever. They're, like, kind of both sprawled out. He, like, gets up to get back and, like, attack her. And in comes uh, Bran's wolf. Oh, yeah, Bran's wolf. And this wolf. is, like, the not, not named yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Summer yet. Unnamed. Unnamed Bran's wolf comes, who she hates all the wolves, comes yeah. running in and starts, like, tearing this dude's throat out. Like, very awesome. Like, classic, like, what we have been, like, George R. R. Martin has been like hinting that the wolves would yeah. do if there was actually an issue because you just saw it in the last chapter with like ghosts mm-hmm. coming at coming Tyrion. at uh what's his, at Tyrion and it's like well, I wonder what would actually happen if like if the wolf really saw some danger to its master and this is what you see and it is just it mangles this dude rips out his throat like kills him so fast like goes to Catelyn, knows she's like part of the family, licks the blood off her hands, and just chills on Bran's bed like as mm-hmm. this like watchdog. And then she passes out, or everybody comes running into the room. She starts laughing hysterically. Then she passes out. And so she- I had that I ha- I had that written down too. I'm like, what an insane way to find your mom because it's like yeah. it's like Lewin and mm-hmm. and like their master of guard or whatever, and Rob come rushing in. And they found her just like maniacally laughing, like dead as like man on the there's ground. a dead man with his throat ripped Blood out. Her hands, her yeah. hands are mangled. It even says like when the wolf rips out uh, the, the guy's throat, like blood sprays oh, all yeah. over, and she's just like she it is like very gory, and she is like cackling, and there's like a wolf covered in blood like mm-hmm. on Bran's bed, and they find her like this, and you're like, like imagine finding anyone, let alone your like mother. Yeah. Like that, and you're just like, "Yo, what the fuck is going on?" Here? And then, and then they bathe her. Uh, Lewin stitches her up her hands, and then they they give her some milk of the poppy, and she passes out for four days, which sounds awesome. How? Yeah, crazy. that is crazy. I well, she I, hasn't been sleeping. Well, I set a record for myself for sleeping last year with 15 hours after I left the hospital when I had COVID pneumonia because, like, same thing. Like, my body was like. Like hers, like it was weak. Like I'd barely, yeah. barely slept. You know what I mean? I can't imagine waking up after four days had passed. Um, but you know, she she immediately like like her hands hurt, so she's immediately like everything comes rushing back to her. What happened? And what I think is very interesting is that you know she's very embarrassed right away about how she had been acting. And a line that she's would... very like lucid. She's like lucid mm-hmm. all of a sudden. She's like, I have been like crazy and like not paying attention to the world and like shit is happening. And now I am action mode. Like, let's yeah. do some stuff. Well, what I really enjoy is that she has this line where she she sends like her servants. She's like, you know, go get me um, some honey and bread and you go get me like, go, you know, get Mas- Master Lewin, tell everyone I'm awake. And like while they're going to do that, she thinks to herself, she's like, I want to show them how strong a Tully of River Run can be. And I just think that's such a great right. picture into how these people view themselves in this world. Like she mm-hmm. hasn't lived in River Run in, you know, 15 years, I think, 16 years. She hasn't even seen it. Yeah. You know? And and but that's still she you know, these people, it's very regional, you know, it's very like, oh, I'm a I'm a Tully of River Run. Like I gotta, you know, as if she thinks that like after she passed out, you know, Rob and and um and what's his name? Uh, Rod- Roderick Castle and and these other people were talking and Matt Maester Lewin. They're like, "Hell, oh, she's of River Run. Like she's pretty rude. classic River Run." Yeah, yeah. you know. She's- well, it's it's it, it is very. We're both from Jersey, so being yeah. as that, we we can very much relate to being like, "Well, we got to put on for Jersey because mm-hmm. everyone from Jersey loves Jersey." So so it is it is very much like that. But yeah, they come in and she's like 
you know, like we said, she's ready to go. She yeah. is like, you know, she's like, I got to put on for River Run. And she's like, let's handle this shit. And this is where you see that she is actually when she's not like in this grieving mode being annoying. She's like super competent. Yeah, she is. is. She is. She was like, that dude was here to kill Bran very clearly. Look at the dagger he's got. Uh, well, you know, this ties in with the Liza thing. And and also, Jamie Lannister wasn't on the hunt when Bran fell from the tower. So what do you think? You know, and she's given a lesson to Rob, too. She's like, yeah. what do you think, Rob? Like, why would why would someone try and kill Bran? Like, think about it. And he's like, because he knows something. Yeah, well, hold on. Roderick? Like Roderick, Theon, and Robert first are like kill Bran. Like, what are you nuts? There's no way he was there to kill Bran. Uh, Yabotos, he went into a private healing room with a dagger. He was there to kill one or the other. That's they act like she like pulled that out of she acts like like she told them time travel was real. Like, oh uh, yeah, man. Yeah. Like, it, it seems pretty plausible. Like, Bran was one of two people she that man could have been trying to kill, you know? Like yeah, right. It's Let's not like any more likely than it's Catelyn that he. Mm-hmm. They went to the sick room where Bran was. Yeah, like, only you person know. you know where they're going to be at all times is Bran. In that, and room. he says you're not supposed to be here. Yeah, um, but I think that um, yeah, she she like lays it all out. She tells him about the letter from Liza. She points out that Jamie didn't go on the hunt that day, and she's like, I don't think Bran fell. I think he was pushed, and. Yeah, so she is quite a detective. Yes. Um, also, they keep describing her as having this throbbing pain in her hands. I wanted to ask you, Mike, you ever have throbbing pain? I had to get a stitch in my finger after slicing it open at the old seafood restaurant back in the day. When you when you're like, not- I actually, I actually had quite a hand injury myself with it with a cut, and yes, it is like a throb, especially yeah, in a bounces. hand that is something you're using all the yeah. time. Yeah, it like pounds. You know, it's like boop, boop. it goes with like right. a heartbeat. It's quite. It's it's it really is daunting a bit, but um, Rob pulls out a sword at one point when she lays out the Jamie Lannister accusation. It's like, oh, if that's true, I'll get him, which is just classic. Like Rob, calm down, like take it easy. Yeah, um, you know. Well, Rob- and they do kind of. They're like, they're like, put that thing away. Like you're not using mm-hmm. that. Like don't draw your sword unless you're gonna use it. And he's like, oh shit, and he's embarrassed. And then that is when I believe it's Roger Castle. It may have been uh, Hullen, this other man who was like the new head of the guard. Uh, one of them points out, like, "Well, ma'am, did you take like a look at the uh, at the dagger? Like, way too fine of a weapon for a regular, you know, person to use. It's uh, it's a Valerian steel, a dragon bone hilt. Like, we can't. Like, there's no way a guy like that had it. Also, that's the other thing is, you know, they're immediately like, does anybody know who that is? And everyone's like, he clearly was in the stables. He smelled of horse." He he was not anyone that anyone knew from Winterfell. We just had this. But they sh- said they've seen him around, yeah. like mm-hmm. town, like skulking you about know, for the past couple of weeks. So they're like, oh, maybe it was someone who came to the king's party. Yeah. Now, it, when you mentioned the dagger, I thought it was interesting too because that is like, so we find out later that it was given to him as like part of the payoff to to kill Bran by you know Jamie or Cersei. Who I actually forget who actually you know had that set in place, but. Uh, I always thought this is like, that is like a massively critical mistake. Number one, like, like whoever, I think it was Giselle or someone says like, this is like totally a traceable weapon. Like this is mm-hmm. not a common thing. Valyrian steel, especially with like dragon, a dragon bone hilt. Like this is like a super like rare, very, like someone will know where this came from. So that is like such a critical mistake to give that to a dude who would probably just have done it for money. 
Mm-hmm. Like he didn't need the Valyrian steel dagger. Also, like probably not something you should just be giving away. Like obviously they don't know the importance of like what it means in terms of like killing White Walkers and stuff yet because we haven't really gotten to that part. But like it is like it it is like when Valyrian steel is so rare in this world and very sought after. It is crazy that they just kind of were like, we'll also take this like super rare dagger and go kill this this kid. You don't. So I have uh, one part of that that's going to be in my making the eight that you mentioned, but um, there is two other things I wanted to talk about with the dagger. Number one, uh, so it is actually Joffrey who gives the dagger uh, to the guy and tells him to kill Bran because he overhears Robert saying like, oh man, like that kid's going to be crippled for life. Like he, he may as well be dead. Like that would be better than being crippled for life. Really? I don't remember that. Which the fandom considers like one of the biggest mistakes. Like they hate that George did that, that it was just Joffrey in that situation. I'm sure we'll talk more about it when it's revealed in the books, but yeah, just an all time kind of like, like, it could have been Littlefinger, it could have been Cersei, it could have been Jamie. Anything was better than what it actually was, which is it being Joffrey. That is that is like a like a yeah. bad mistake by George R. R. Martin. Yeah. That is like such a pointless and almost like sounds like kind of like a mercy thing from Joffrey, yeah. which is sort of out of character. And he, like, he wanted to impress his father, be, supposedly. Right. You would think it would be more of like a Cersei or Jamie yep. or like trying to Even like quiet. keep the truth a secret. Mm-hmm. And uh and it would be a very Cersei thing to do more yeah. than Jamie, honestly, to to be like, oh, we got to take care of this, like, because she's very untrusting. Mm-hmm. And now, um, the other thing I wanted to talk about is with what we learned in House of the Dragon. How do we feel about the new idea that this dagger? Not only do we know at the end of the show that it kills the Night King, but you know, in House of the Dragon, this was supposedly Aegon the Conqueror's personal dagger that has the encryption about. Uh, the Song of Ice and Fire and the prophecy on the dagger, like smithed in. What do we think about that new history of the dagger? Do we think that's too much? Do you like that? Do you like that it has this? I mean, I think that's like a cool, like that is like a super interesting like thing with the dagger. But it again, like just kind of reinforces the point that I guess they, well, honestly, the fact, the fact that Joffrey is the one that gives it to him kind of, kind of cancel like gives a reason to my my thing of you know mm-hmm. like what a, what a big mistake giving yeah. that away and joffrey doesn't even he's just like man dagger sure. he's like expensive mm-hmm. dagger i'll give it to this bozo yeah. like you know he doesn't care mm-hmm. but so i guess that kind of is the answer to my question of like why would they do that and something that's so traceable and it's dumb mistake by joffrey yeah. actually makes more sense than yeah. like cersei or jamie making that mistake so then, um, basically, um, Catelyn swore them all to secrecy when she told them all this, and she's basically like, I need to go south to deliver this dagger to, like, King's Landing and tell Ned about all this so we can, like, try to figure things out. We can't send a, a raven. Like, this is too precious of information. She was trying to figure out who to send before she decides she has to go. Great line by Rob was, like, you couldn't even, like, go to bed, like, three days ago because you were so worried about Bran. Now you're just going to leave him here. She goes like, only the Maester Lewin and the gods can help Bran now. And Maester Lewin's like, yeah, I tried telling you that like five days ago, you bitch. But, uh, um, yeah, I, uh, but also another line that I really like here is that, um, when, when they're like making this plan and like talking about all this, Theon Greyjoy goes like, Lady Stark, my house owes you a great debt. 
No, they don't. <laughs> it's the opposite. You're of a hostage. Yeah, yeah you are a hostage, dude. Wants revenge on theirs. They do not owe so them a I, debt. I did want to bring that up because it it like he is like at the beginning of this at least he is like super super like loyal to the Starks, mm-hmm. which I guess you would uh, you know they've treated him really well. And, yeah, and I guess that's the whole point, and which is a smart move by by Ned, I guess, but. It, it it is something that I noticed. It's like he is immediately like, "You have my sword," you know. Like I believe yeah. in you, Rob. Like and I he mean, does that remember. when Rob goes to war. He's like, "You got me." Like yeah. I'm behind you fully. Like they are like kind of boys. He's like a little bit of a a, a prick, but he is like yeah very loyal to the Starks. Like surprisingly, I always thought that like Theon just folded like a deck of cards to his dad on on the Iron Island. Did but we'll get? It was a shame because he actually like he could have been like kind of cool when he was like marching with Rob and doing this whole mm-hmm. thing, and he was like kind of the older head there. That Rob kind of did like Rob kind of looks at him as like a friend, mm-hmm. and uh, and it is weird that that he is so loyal. And then as soon as he goes to his dad, he's just like, "I'm uh, back with you. I'm yeah, ready yeah, to. Be- yeah. I'm ready to betray you, these." Assholes. You were really mean um, to me. So what was I supposed to do besides say yes? You know. Um, so another thing, it was. Uh, you know, and and Rob originally is like, well, I'll go and talk mm-hmm. to Dad, and she's like, no, there must always be a Stark in Winterfell, and that is something that does kind of follow the series. Like, they are constantly trying to get back and take Winterfell. Like, the Starks mm-hmm. are always trying to, like, you know, for a while, Bran's the only one there when he wakes up, and Rob's now, you know, at war, and then, uh, you know, later Sansa comes back, and so there is like this constant, like, we need to keep. When it's such an important like castle and stronghold in the north that they are always trying to be like, we need to get this back. Like we I think, need to have Winterfell. I could be wrong, but I think the Starks and Winterfell are the longest like family in a spot in Westeros in the area. Like right. I could be wrong, but if I am, because they've always like, held it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They built people. it. So yeah, and they're and, one of the oldest And they were families. the kings of winter, which like predates a lot of the other houses. Like they're old as shit. You get the idea. So anyway, she decides basically her and Roger Castle. She doesn't want a lot of people because it both slows them down and makes them easier to spot. Just her and Roger Castle, two-man group party. They're gonna go uh follow the white knife to White Harbor, and then they're going to get on a ship and sail to King's Landing to hopefully be right. Ned there or get there right around the same time. Right. So this is like, so I'm happy Kat's finally doing something because mm-hmm. she was just like kind of moping around for a while being pretty useless when was Rob needed her. way more Royce Courage Awards. Like, let's let's be frank here. She, she... Well, by the end. Yeah, she <laughs> did. And and that's her crowning achievement. But it's funny that as soon as she decides like, all right, it's time to like, you know, get my head straight, like figure this out. Like it's time for action. We got to handle this. We got to go talk to Ned. And she is just like, Rob, I'm back, but I'm leaving. Yeah. As soon as she is like, as soon as she is like a competent person again, she immediately is like, okay, but I am leaving and you're going to do this by yourself again. Like, Mm -hmm. so she again is not really helping Rob at all. Yeah. She's honestly giving more to him now because now he is taking Roger Castle away. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's really putting it all on him. Like his best man. Yeah. So it is funny that like as soon as she like kind of gets her head on shape, she is just like, "All right, Rob, I'm yeah. ready to help by leaving you alone." Remember, you were complaining that I wasn't helping you before. Well, boy, do I got news for you. I'm gonna help you less. <laughs> so now, 
we go on to our final chapter of the episode, Sansa 1. Oh, Sansa. Even worse than Catelyn, honestly. I hate Sansa. Mm, I'm detecting some uh, misogynistic views in your chapter. Uh, oh, no, I love I love Arya, love Daenerys. Even um, Cersei has her moments. Oh, Cersei has phenomenal chapter. Cersei's chapters are just like... Great how, villain. How wrong can a human be? Not even that she's a great villain, is that she's just like crazy at that point. Like, like there will literally be a chapter yeah. where somebody's like, it's going to rain tomorrow. Everybody knows it. And in the next chapter, it'll be Cersei. And she'll be like, rain, everywhere rain. Who plotted this against me? There could never have been rain. She, she does think everyone is out to get her. Yeah. She is funny. Dude, she starts getting fat at one point because she's eating and drinking so much. And she's just like, ah, damn it. I know those washerwomen are shrinking my clothes. Yeah. <laughs> Which is phenomenal. Talk about relatability. She's great. When does she, does she, is she um like a point of view in the second book? Is that when I, she comes into like points of view? I think it might not be third? till the third. Yeah, she's one of those like it might be the third. POVs, you know? Um, But I this is something I find interesting about Sansa. Sansa is famously like somebody both in the books and the shows that people don't like at first. Um, But like when you're reading from her point of view, like, she's not as detestable you know she's just like i want everything to go good you know who doesn't want things to go well, good do you want things see, to go I, bad is that what you're telling I dis i dislike her because she is just like an annoying like but that is like what like she is like a young girl like she is yeah. just like an annoying like like starting to become like teenager child who is just like i want everything to be perfect like i want you know why aren't you doing what I want? Like, she's a spoiled rich kid. And, like, that what, what, is how she acts. And she's like, she's like, why is Arya not exactly like me? She's just, like, kind of annoying. She's not, like, I, bad. I, I she's will just give, annoying. I will give her this. There is, like, three different parts in just her first chapter where she's like, oh, goody, goody, this is going to be just, like, one of the fairy tale love songs. Yes. Like, 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 Joffrey will be like, oh, look out, there's a rock right there. And she'll be like, he just saved my life, my galleon so-so. Yeah. Um, I mean, she's better than Septon Mordane. Septon Mordane. Oh, she's horrible. Oh, yeah, she's annoying. Yeah. Oh, my God. Talk about a wet blanket. But, um, yeah, so, so basically, let's, I got a lot of, like, uh, comp, more comedic things to point out in this episode, or this chapter. So let's just do a really quick summary. It's like, they're on the King's Road. They're, they've just left the north. They traveled south of the neck. They're in the, the Riverlands, so they're getting some better weather, some different things, that, that the way stuff looks. They're at a large inn. Yeah. she. They're by the Trident, which is the Riverlands is all defined by this giant river uh, called the Trident. It's got three forts that break off on it, and it basically forms. It's mentioned later on um, when, you know, Rob, when the Riverland joins Rob's cause. It's like the Riverland is basically considered any land touched by the trident or at least like at its 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 um borders you know so they're at the trident they're at this big river and they're going to be traveling with the queen and and uh princess marcella the next day uh which makes uh sansa very excited but she's nervous about aria you know sansa's been like stressed this whole trip she doesn't like riding she doesn't like sweating but like she just wants to get there but she likes to see her prince or bethroned and, and she likes to see the queen and all that stuff aria meanwhile was riding around just like hanging out with people talking to them and like she's like going she's having a great stuff. time yeah, honestly, the um description of people that Aria would be friends with 
is like lat. See again, like Suns. It is funny. a phrase. Hold on, I gotta find this. Um, this is thing where Suns is like these are the people that Aria likes. Um, um, but um, uh, explain a little bit uh, of the rest of the chapter, Mikey, while I look this up. Yeah, yeah. So okay, so yeah, so they're they're at this end. They're waking up. Uh, a couple of knights show up from King's Landing to kind of like meet up with their party and escort them the rest of the way. Sansa's there, uh, and they're talking. They're talking to Cersei. Cersei's like, "We're gonna have to reschedule this whole riding, hanging out together thing till tomorrow. I got to talk to these knights." Uh, they're introduced as uh, Barristan Salmi who mm-hmm. is a cool character. We will get more into him later on. He's old. He's one of the King's guard. He is like a very decorated knight. And the other is uh, the King's younger brother, youngest brother, Renly Baratheon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he is like described as like an immensely handsome. I think Sansa says it's like the most handsome man she's ever yep. seen. He's like this tall, young, very gallant, like in beautiful green armor. With a, uh, uh, she recognizes him. Antler. Yeah, she recognizes yeah. him by the antler uh, helm. Um, she knows who Salmi is because of the description. She and this is where, like, you know, she's very scared at first because she sees mm-hmm. these guys and she sees uh the King's Justice, great nickname, uh, yeah. who is um Padraig Payne, Dylan Payne, Payne. Yes. yeah, who is who is like the beheader of the king, the the mm-hmm. royal like you know executioner, and so she's Has scared. A wild by him at first. look about him. He's described as mostly Holy bald shit. with a yeah. few strands of hair that is as long as a woman's, which is a and I was trying to picture trick. that in my head. I'm like, this is crazy. Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. And then she sees the hound and gets all scared, and she's yeah. like kind of frightened. And people are like, what the hell's going on with this girl? And this is, and then she says, and her like training from. Scepter yeah. Mordain kicks in, and this is where you see her be like a very competent person, mm-hmm. and she's immediately like, "Sorry, guys!" Like she hey, like personable. makes a joke, gets everyone laughing. Like, yeah, it, like starts like talking to everyone. Mm-hmm. She like she's like, "Oh, I know you. You're Selmy. You must." Barristan is very, very. He's very knightly the way he presents himself too. He's like, when yes. she's all scared at Ellen Payne. He's like, "Oh, do not fret, ma'am. Like even I can be scared of him sometimes." Which, by the yeah, way, him and Renly. And try and like help her along. They're very that, But why do him and Renly do like a Martin and Lewis routine? Like they have this whole like like there's this whole part where they're like, well, who does thou think I am, young miss? And she's like, thou must be Lord Renly. Thou I name you. And then and then he's all like, more they're like, like doing a bit. Yeah, they're like she's like you were barristan the bold, and Renly's like more like barristan the old. Yuck, 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 yuck. You know, it's like it's like guys, like calm down. Let's. Game of Thrones is so much funnier in the descriptions than when the characters themselves are trying to be funny. It's it like is. Barristan, stick to the sword work. Renly, stick to the uh, sword play, if you catch my drift. Hey, oh. Um, but I did find this description where um, Sansa goes, um, Sansa knew all the sorts of people Arya liked to talk to. Squires and grooms and serving girls, old men and naked children, rough-spoken free riders of uncertain birth. What naked children is Arya talking? Is is Arya hanging out with? It it is like a but it is just like that is like everybody besides like the knights yeah. in the group. That is like yeah. every she's just like and she likes talking to people. And it's like <laughs> It is funny though, because you see it as like that is like Sansa's like whole thing, and it again goes back to her wanting everything to be perfect yeah. and like a fairy tale. And she's like, I don't talk to like anyone who's not like of royal birth. Yeah, I do love the image of Arya being like, "Is that a naked child? Like, I got to figure out what's going on there." 
Yeah, um, I got to get that kid's yeah. story. But uh, I do think we should talk a little bit about them traversing the neck itself. So the neck is a very important area geographically. It is the southmost point of the north, and it basically single-handedly connects the north to the rest of Westeros. Uh, as its name suggests, it's a choke point, so it's very important strategically. And it is all a swamp, which makes it very interesting. Like, it's very different from a lot of other areas um, in Westeros. So that is actually, I had a couple of uh, favorite pieces of writing, so I'll just mm -hmm. do this one now because that's exactly what you're talking this about. And it's on page. I haven't, I have another one. So okay. I'll just, I'll just uh, read this as a description of what we're talking about right now on page 118. Uh, uh, it's talking, you know, Sansa shuddered. They had been 12 days uh, crossing the neck, rumbling down a crooked causeway through an endless black bog. And she had hated every moment of it. The air had been damp and clammy, the causeway so narrow they could not even make proper camp at night. They had to stop right on the King's Road. Dense thickets of half-drowned trees pressed close around them, branches dripping with curtains of pale fungus. Huge flowers bloomed in the mud and floated on pools of stagnant water. But if you were stupid enough to leave the causeway to pluck them, there were quicksands waiting to suck you down and snakes watching from the trees and lizard lions floating half-submerged in the water, like black logs with eyes and teeth. I think lizard lions are like crocodiles. Yes, which is a great <laughs> word for a crocodile. It is. I would rather call them a lizard lion. But yeah. like that is like that is a great, again, just George mm -hmm. R. R. Martin being awesome at describing stuff. I mean, like, yep. like, like it was it, curtains of pale fungus dripping from the trees. Like, this is like, I was reading this, I'm like, this is a, like, deep evil swamp that we it's, are going through right they now have like an indonesia mixed with florida like there's poisonous flowers and snakes there's quicksand there's alligators also this is where the cragmen live which famously howlin reed and his children mira and uh what's the what's the boy Re jojen uh jojen reed jojen, yeah so the, you know they again um the cragmen they're like a very very um they're like a, a native type people they you know they're very independent and like have their own culture uh gray water watch which is their castle actually supposedly like moves like it's like on the yes water. you know they give it almost it's like, like supposed to be like boat. mystical like well, yeah we get to that later on in in uh when uh when theon is with his sister asha i believe mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. um which what uh different name in the show yarya in the show right mm -hmm. and and asha in the books mm -hmm. um but that's a that's a little later on but yeah see we you do see a little more of the crag men then so we're mm -hmm. not we're not away from this completely but this is like and i think they get into the description a little more than but this is like an interesting like again we're starting to yeah. see different parts of the world now that are not mm -hmm. just like snowy winter fell you're getting and she's like i hate this she is like this is awful yeah, Arya's having the time of her life. Mm -hmm. Arya, Arya, like gets all these purple flowers for Eddard. She like picks him a bouquet, but then they turn out to be like poison ivy. She has all these rashes, and Sansa's like, "Oh, good, that'll teach her." But then she just covers herself in mud because she's like, you know, oh, like Mycha, the butcher's boy, tells her that that'll be Micah, you know, yeah. a little better. And and that's another great part is that um, 
his uh Sansa when after she describes all those people that Arya would hang out with, she goes, This Micho was the worst, a butcher's boy, 13 and wild. He slept in the meat wagon and smelled of the slaughtering block. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, Arya, that you want to in or uh, Sansa that you want to win. He's got a job. Yeah, the fruit yeah. <laughs> of, of a butcher, but not like have to see the butcher's boy. What a what a horrible, you know. Anyway, then we get the whole Amos or uh, Martin and Lewis routine with um with Renly and with Barristan the Bold. And that's when Cersei's like, oh, poor, poor Sansa. I hate to tell you this, but like, I have to do business with these two today. So we'll have to ride together a different day. Oh, Joffrey, like, why don't you hang out with your betrothed? Which also, I love Joffrey keeps calling Sansa his betrothed. His betrothed, betrothed, yeah. However you say it. And he'll keep like, you know, we talk about how Sansa's always like, goody, goody, this is a fairy tale. Joffrey only talks to her at first, they like, always be like, my lady, sweet thunder up upon thy window breaks. Like, what troubles thee so? May I cast down my vision? Like, he's always trying to talk like a puppet for some reason, you know? So I, you know, I, and this is something I thought that was a little different in the books now rereading it than in the show. In the show, he's like very reluctant to like spend time with mm -hmm. Sansa and he still puts on the show. But like in the book, I think it's a little more like, he does a better he makes a better like show of like being yeah. interested and it makes me almost think that because in the show it's almost like he has like no interest in girls he's like almost like asexual yeah i mean i guess he's like a young kid so he doesn't necessarily need to be in you know interested in anyone yet but like he he like is almost like just doesn't have time for that he's just mm -hmm. like a cruel boy he, who wants just to like busy causing problems Right, just yeah, just making making trouble for everyone who's not him, just for fun. And in the book, it's a little bit more like you could almost see him like actually having some interest in Sansa, but also just still being an asshole. Obviously, as you see at the end when he has like his first like moment of insanity. Yeah, um, yeah. they. But so they so yes, oh. so Joff Joffrey's like, let's go riding, like, and and she's immediately which like, is, well, I love riding, which is so funny. Twice in this chapter, she specifically says how she hates riding one time she says it at Aura. she's like i hate riding it's stupid you just get dirty and sweaty and you smell of horse and it's dumb and then joffrey's like mayhaps we go riding and she goes oh, riding uh, riding classic, i love riding. classic like little kid trying yeah. to get their crush to like them is like yeah. oh i like what you like yes yeah, oh that's great oh yeah. riding i i never even thought of that let's go right and she's like and he's all like, my my dog scares you, and, and your wolf will scare the horses. Clearly, he's afraid of the dire wolf. That goes without saying. Like, yeah. So she wants to. So she wants to spend all day with him, and she's mm -hmm. like, "This is great." So they're riding around. They like stop at some like little inn or something, and uh, have a nice meal, and get like fucked up on wine, which is like Sansa's like, "This is the first time I've ever been drunk." She's like, yeah. "I only get like a little cup of wine at feast," and he's like. We'll drink as much as you want. So yeah, like that's a little drunk. bit of like old school, like, well, your dad's not in charge of you anymore. I am. You know yeah. what I mean? Like he said, she's right. like, my father only allows me to have one cup at, at important events. And he's like, he's like, my lady can have as much as she likes because you're mine now. You yeah. know? So they're a little tuned up on, on the red wine. And, uh, and I think they say at one point he, uh, that joffrey is like wild with wine which i thought was a great description yeah um, so he's you know he's like probably kind of plastered because he's you know like a little punk and they hear and some so they're clacking in the distance right they hear sticks stacking and, and sansa's like i don't want any part of this and he's like no we're gonna go see what's going on with this mm -hmm. 
Well, there because earlier when they go out to ride, he's like, I'll leave the hound here. You leave your wolf. And she's like, well, shouldn't we take guards? And he isn't even drunk or had a sip of wine yet. And he's immediately like, guards? What are you, stupid? You know? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I have my sword with me. And unlike your dumb brother, it's a real one. Like, I'll take care of us. Yeah. Go- Lion the jab in a Rob, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they come across Arya and the butcher's boy. And immediately, um, immediately Sansa is like, you know, like horrified. And and Joffrey is much more bemused. Like he doesn't think anything of, of Arya like playing like a child. Like he's he's fine with that, but he's immediately like like he sees a chance to bully the butcher's boy, Micha. Mm-hmm. And and it said that this as well, that Micha was a year older than Joffrey, but like, you know, Joffrey had no problem commanding him. Like clearly Joffrey likes you know, that kind of game, you know, don't you know who my father is? Like, he likes starting trouble knowing that he can't get in too much uh, back, you know? So he, you know, he he presses his, his sword onto Mike's cheek and he's he's makes a cut on him and he's like, you know, pick up your stick and come fight me. And, and then Aurea gets really upset, picks up one of the sticks with two hands, comes up behind Joffrey and just wham like a baseball bat swings it full force into the back of his head and all hell breaks it over his head which is like a much like more aggressive move than like in the book she or in the show she's kind of just like whacking whacking him with a stick and she is like hitting him but like it's like in the book it's like yeah like his head's bleeding like she fucking cracks him over the Mm -hmm. skull with a stick not saying there's anything wrong and they say that it's like like a broom which is pretty thick yeah yeah, mm-hmm. so she whacks him, and then he's chasing her with the sword, like, trying to, like, cut her and yeah, like, no, no, kill he, her. That's when she says what Stunt. you said, which is that he's wild with uh, yeah. like yes. he, Like, it's yeah. clear in this moment that, like, this is his true colors, as true can be. Like, he, like, if it yeah. was not for Nymeria, not to get ahead of ourselves, like, he wouldn't have been content that we hit her. Like, like because, you know, Arya yeah, is so- pretty fearless. It says that, like, you know, she throws a rock at him, and it hits his horse and runs away, and then she's like, terrified because he's legitimate she's like oh shit he's gonna like kill me with this real sword yeah so she's so and and so she he's running around chasing her Sansa's like screaming bloody murder like you're ruining everything like stop it both of you stop this you're ruining it you're ruining all of it yeah so she's going crazy her whole fairy tale's crashing crashing down and Nymeria like jumps out of nowhere and like racks Joffrey's arm like starts like biting the shit out of his arm like like, fucking him up like they they it's say that mangled. his shirt like they... soaks with blood, which is a lot of blood. Yeah, I mean, they said, like, in the show, it's a little bit more like, you know, they're kind of downplaying and be like, oh, you're, like, kind of being a baby. Like, you just got bit a little bit. And it's yeah. like, in the book, it's, like, a little more like, he has, like, you know, it is his fault, but he has, like, cause to be like, this, like, Wolf did fuck me up, like, big time. Like, yeah, his arm is, like, kind of fucked up. In theory. Right, like... so... So that so he is like you know, mm-hmm. and then it shows that the control that the Starks are gaining over their daughter. This is another example of like this is actually what happens when they are threatened. Is like but, these but wolves also, mean business. But also at the same but they time, they listen because she's yeah, like they say really like she cracks her voice like away. whip, like stop and yeah. stops immediately. Mm-hmm. And then so they are like well trained. You mm-hmm. you see the use of these wolves now that are I yeah. feel like gets underplayed in the show is like these are like fear like there's a reason that everyone who sees them is like 
terrified. In that video like, game, these are like fearsome beasts. In that video game I play, um, if you're like you can pick up as Rob Stark. Um, if you do and you go into battle, you have Grey Wind at your side. It gives you like combat bonuses. Like it, it like fucks up. Yeah, you. because if you fought with a dire yeah, he's like your a, side, yeah, it's like a it's like a legit thing, you know. And then so the they so she picks up his sword, throws mm-hmm. it in the river. She's like, fuck you. And she runs away. Mike goes yeah. running away some other direction. And mm-hmm. Sansa like goes up to try and like, help you my prince. You're injured. And like, try to what like, they've done to you. I love yeah, the way she's, she like, like says that. Help. Tries to like brush his hair away, mm-hmm. like out of his eyes or whatever. And he's like, don't fucking touch me. Like go, just, just go, go get, get the help. help and that's yeah. when you like, you see like Joffrey's true colors. He is like a, vile person she's she, like i'm trying to help you mm-hmm. and he is like he's like good then go do it like do something you what? like useless person it says like because they're still trying to somewhat cover you know the tracks i'd say the big getaway giveaway here is it says like his eyes in that moment were filled with nothing but contempt and hatred you know like yes like yeah. clearly his mask has slipped or again like you know maybe like He's clearly like a, a brat before this and like a shitty guy, but like, you know, this is all part of the building of the ma- making of the man and monster that is Joffrey Baratheon, you know, young Joff. Which, which and the building of like the new generation of, of mm. uh, like animosity between Starks and Lannisters. Like this mm-hmm. is coming down from, from Joffrey's parents and from, well, from, you know, Cersei and, uh, and Jamie, who he doesn't know his dad, but like this, this hate for the Starks is coming from them, or the looking down is coming from yeah. them. And then Ned not trusting the Lannisters is going to uh, is going to Arya. Like this is like generational mm-hmm. hate between two houses. This or is distrust, a very real thing. Will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like it is building, and now it's starting in the next generation, which kind of sets up uh, a lot of the events that unfold as the series progresses. Like so, this generational like animosity between houses that is not only between the Starks and the Lannisters like there's other ones but this is like such a prime early example of like how that feeds into causing a lot of the issues in this in the series mm-hmm. all right let's um let's exit the small ch- uh the small council chamber and hit to our segments we'll start um Let's start this week since we did a good job of not getting to it beforehand of our Grandmaster Chevlethin, Chevletis, Leviathan mm. Award. Um, do you want to go first, Michael? Uh, yeah, let me take a second to find it. I'm actually a little um, nervous that we're going to have the same one this time because mine is very specifically like what I think is the best. Like, I think this is easily the best. Uh, okay, here we go. So this is when mine is when she sees uh, Sir Illin Payne. Mm-hmm. So I have okay, good. page one twenty two here, right at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, she says this is after she gets introduced to everyone, and she says like, "I'm sorry, I offended you, Sir Illin." And uh, and so, so it starts. She waited for an answer, but none came. As the headsman looked at her, his pale, colorless eyes seemed to strip the clothes away from her, and then the skin leaving her soul naked before him, still silent, he turned and walked away. That is, like, terrifying. That is. That, like, we should she mention- doesn't know he doesn't have a tongue. Yeah, yet, he does not have like, a tongue. I don't know talking. he said that. Yeah. He, um, just the description of him, like, staring her down, and she's just like, he sees my soul. Like, he is looking right through me, through my clothes, through my skin. He, like, sees, he, like, can read my thoughts. It's, like, mm-hmm. it's, like kind of the, like, 
you know, the, the impression she's getting. And then he just turns and walks away. And she's like, what the fuck? Um, he got his tongue ripped out by the Mad King for saying, like, oh, the Mad King, uh, Tyrion or Tywin Lannister is the real power in these parts. So mm. it makes sense that the Lannister correct. love him so much. Yeah, not wrong. Um, my favorite comes in the Catelyn chapter. Um, early on when Maester Lewin is like, you know, um, kind of giving her the business for being, uh, or no, it's actually when Rob's in there already giving her the business for like being absent, she said. He says, like, you know, you didn't even come to say goodbye when father and the girls went south. She said, I said my farewells to them here and watched them ride out from that window. She had begged Ned not to go. Not now. Not after what had happened. Everything had changed now. Couldn't he see that? It was no use. He had no choice, he had told her. And then he left, choosing. I think that is... I love that line. I meant to bring that line up. One, because it's like a really way of writing that line yeah. like where you know he said he had no choice he left choosing, choosing. Yeah. and also like unfair way to put that she told him to go no, yeah, the one that, who made him go. that's just such like uh like uh my, the old wife at home is gonna give me shit for this later like that is such like yeah he said he had no choice and then he left choosing like i, yeah. I just think that's well, yeah, it's classic sassy like and yeah. he chose you know and he chose believe me um, I did mean to bring that line up earlier, so I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Up next, we have our MVPs of the chapter, the prince or princess that was promised based on your iteration of the translation. Mike, do you want to go first? I mean, I, okay. So I wanted to, I was going to give it to Catelyn, but we already gave her the first Waymar Royce, which is an mm -hmm. even better award, honestly. So I think I'm giving it to Nymeria. Because mm -hmm. Nymeria comes in and is just like, you know, I guess you could give it, you could give it to Summer as well. I'm going to give it to the Wolves okay. because the Wolves finally show, they finally show their stuff here. Even mm -hmm. Ghost goes and like threatens, you know, threatens Tyrion real quick when he thinks uh, that he's going to harm Jon. So they come in and they really show that they are about that, that business. Like they will mess someone up if they are fucking with their masters. And like, it's when you, and, and you can start to see the, the terror building and like, the party that is traveling with them down to King's Landing that they are like scared of Lady and Nymeria whenever they're just like there. Mm -hmm. So like they're starting, the kids are starting to realize like these are like very powerful allies to have, yeah. these dire wolves. Uh, so I'm giving them the MVP. I really like that. I think that's a great call. I almost gave mine to Aurea uh, because like similar to Nymeria, you know, she's right in the thick of things there. And, you know, for a little girl to like be, running off from a sword and also like do the right thing standing up for Mike Jack, I, I think is very impressive. Um also to your point about the wolves, I think that that's like a great, you know, when John Snow was like, my lord, like, you know, same amount of wolves as you have kids. Like they were meant to have them. Like, you know, there was a little bit of that destiny there. I gave my award actually to Rob Stark because I kind Ooh. of find Rob annoying a bit in the first half of book one. And in the Catelyn three chapter, I don't like when he pulls out his sword in this room with his mom and is like, I'll go fight the Lannister. Like it kind of makes him look immature, but he's really stepping up. You know what I mean? He's looking yes. out for his brother. He's looking out for his mom. He's looking out for his other brother. Like he's looking out for Winterfell. Like he's, he's really putting in a lot of work and, I don't know if Catelyn would have been able to recover and pull herself together without her son. A, a big step up from a 14-year-old boy. It, well, I actually had that as an exact note. Rob stepping up and it, yep. from that cat chapter. And it is, like you said, like 
he is kind of annoying and like clearly trying to like prove himself and shows mm-hmm. his immaturity in that, like when he's pulling out the sword and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But he is like he comes in and he's like, I'll make the appointments, like we'll handle that tomorrow. Like we don't need to do that around my mom. She's like clearly a little upset right now. Oh, yeah. And he is like, you know, and and even the fact that he goes to her and says, like, I need you is like a mature thing to do. It, it like for him to go and be like, Listen, you need to take care of like my younger brother who's three, and like he's mm-hmm. worried and he's worried because like he feels like everyone left him and like I don't have time to do like this. I'm trying to step up. Yeah. It is like, like, like his dad left, his brothers him. and yeah. his sisters left, his other brothers hurt. Like, you know, mm-hmm. he's trying to hang with Rob and Rob's like, I can't be with you right now. Like you need to, you know, someone needs to take care of this kid. My, and ne- it's like, my nephew's you know, to have- I was going to say, sorry, my nephew's about to turn three. And like, I couldn't imagine trying to explain to him like, Hey buddy, like, you know, I got to go try. Your dad's got to travel south with your sisters and like you're never going to see them probably ever again or maybe for like 10 to 15 years. They're not leaving. It has nothing to do with you. They don't hate you. You know what I mean? Like he wouldn't yeah, understand. Any yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like the maturity that Rob shows to go in and be like, listen, like. You know, he's talking to his mom and he's like, you need to stop being a child. He's like, you need to get get over this. And like, I get that this is fucked up. But like, I'm also dealing with the fact that my brother mm-hmm. is like in a coma. You need to like, you need to help me here. Like we got a We got a, a huge castle to run. And, and, you know, he objects at first when his mom's like, I'm going to go to King's Landing. It's going to be me. You know, at first he's like, you're, you're going to leave after like being like inconsolable four days ago. But like when she explains it all, you know. He also has the maturity to be like, you know what? That makes sense. Like, yep, I'm going to, again, I'm going to step up. I'll run Winterfell while you're gone. Like, you, you're needed down there. You're absolutely right. Like, let's do it, you know? Um, a very, a very worthy MVP. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Up next, we got Hot Pies Hot Corner. We have some food back oh, boy. In, this, in this episode. We do. I, I took a list. I got, got a menu. Are you ready for this, Mike? I did, you know, I didn't write them down, but I remember specifically being like, there's a couple I got to bring up. So I, I got my first one. I, let me okay. go first. I like when, so she asked for honey and bread, Catelyn, mm-hmm. after she kind of wakes up. And then uh, it was That's more than, more, let me, it's much more than, than she had asked for. There's like a soft boiled egg. There's mm-hmm. hun- There is the honey and bread. There's a, uh, I think there's, there's, yeah, there's butter. There's like some fish. There's like a ton of stuff, uh, blackberry preserves. I'm like, this sounds like a nice breakfast. So the official menu for her, she did get the bread and honey she wanted, but also with butter, she got blackberry preserves, a ration of bacon, soft mm-hmm. boiled egg, cheese, and mint tea. That sounds like a delightful breakfast. They always have like a hunk of cheese. Yeah. Yeah. There's always cheese hunks. I believe it's always described as like a hunk of cheese or like a corner of cheese or something. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. Definitely. Uh, That sounds like a great breakfast. You fall asleep for four days and you wake up. I mean, you got, you got the bread with the honey and the butter. You're getting like some carbs and some fattiness, some sweets there. The blackberry preserves has got to be very delectable at a time like that. The bacon, the eggs, like that's really filling you up, giving you some energy. Big meal. Yeah. Soft boiled egg. Now, um, now I believe Joffrey had a nice little menu himself when him and Sansa went out on their on their lunch date. They had a little wine and fresh trout. Yeah, exactly. The fresh trout, which sounds delightful, if you ask me. It does. Um, and a that nice flaky white fish. And, and that more, and you know, it's in the Riverlands. It's right on the Trident. You got to think they know what they're doing with trout. The Riverlands, uh, yeah. dude, the Riverlands, like, I don't know if you've ever been, you know, 
like notice down the shore, like kind of where we take the jet skis out, like where it's all that grass, like the grass plains and stuff. Like the Riverlands is like a road of rivers. So like, yeah, it's just all these boats going to and fro. It's got to be pretty sick. Um, but that morning, Sansa had honey bread and uh, bacon with uh, Septon Mundane. And I want to say this: Where's all this honey coming from? Like, like who's well, and it's like they're bean? breaking. And it's like sounds very delicious because they're like breaking honeycomb and like drizzling mm-hmm. the fresh honey on their bread and everything. I'm like, this is. Like, but who is figuring? Where out? are the beekeepers? Yeah, yeah like that's what I'm. T- I don't doubt that a knight can go up to a beehive and cut it like and be safe. Fine, but who is taking the time and energy? Now there is Lord Beesberry, R.I.P. from House of the Dragon, who got his head smashed into the to the uh, table and died. His house, oh, yeah. House Beesberry. That was a good death. Yeah, their house words is feel the sting, and their castle is called like the honeycomb. So maybe they're where all the honey's coming from. I'm um, interested to see what that castle would look like. I, yeah. I imagine it's very cool if it's called yeah. the honeycomb. Um, now, there was one more because yeah. Sansa finally gets her lemon cakes, which is like she talks about lemon cakes mm-hmm. very often in this. Yeah, like yeah, that is what happy. I was waiting to get to King's Landing for the food. Cause that's when they really start describing like these like desserts. And I don't like lemony desserts. Do you? I don't like citrus. They're like, or hold on. I'm sorry. I like, like a, I'm not big on that for my desserts. Baked no. wise. Like I like a uh, lemon yeah. sorbet I could get down with, but not baked goods. Um, But also uh, we're forgetting the squirrel stew with black bread and hard cheese from the hike up to the wall. Had to add that pepper. I love that Tyrion. Uh, you gotta add the pepper. Also, and the squirrel added, gave it body. I was about to say the they added the, the body. Pepper. But that was also uh, where you said, you know, the cheese thing. They had some hard cheese going up to the wall. They just got some blocks. They're just Sticking it in their pockets, I imagine, hoping that they'll like eating eating a nibble of cheese every once in a while. Oh man! All right, up next, of course, um, as Robert Baratheon would have you know, uh, you are truly not a man in the Seven Kingdoms until you've bed one woman from each kingdom and the Riverlands. We are now going to make the eight, picking out eight observations, bits of foreshadowing, bits of lore, things of that nature from these chapters. Mike, why don't you lead us off here? All right, so uh, my first one, quick little observation that I thought was fun is uh, when Tyrion's reading his book about dragons and it's describing dragon bone and it's saying that it's like black because of all the iron content in it um, and it's very powerful and he starts and it goes into reading about dragon bone bows, which the Dothraki are uh, very fond of and and like prize above all else because they're like very powerful and and can Mm -hmm. shoot very far and straight. And it's a fun callback to the gifts mm-hmm. that Daenerys was presented with that she passed off to Cal uh, Drogo because one of those was a dragon bone bow, mm-hmm. I believe. And, uh, you know, and then like you said, it ties right into uh, the Catelyn chapter where that mm-hmm. Valyrian steel blade has a dragon bone hilt. So it's just a fun way of connecting um, connecting those chapters and like some of the things that have happened there. I thought that was kind of cool. I had another one from the Tyrion chapter um, when he's talking about uh, the Field of Fire. Oh, when, I got a lot uh, on the Field of you Fire. You know, when, when Aegon the Conqueror came with his sisters, and it was the one time that all three of their dragons, like, were brought into battle at the same time, the one time ever. And when I, when I uh, read about that, I was just thinking, it's like, you know, it's like the one time that an atomic bomb was used in, yep. in you know, in the world history, like, when the U.S., 
uh, dropped it on Japan. And it's like, that was so devastating that it just made everyone so scared that they're like, we can't do this again. And also like, we're like, that's over. Like, this is, this is done with like, look at that absolute destruction. And it's like the field of fire was like that to me. It's like, it's like mm-hmm. they came and they are just like, look at this havoc that they can like wreck on army. Because I believe that the, the Targaryens were getting like fucked up at that point. Yeah. And then oh, they come in yeah. on dragons and just wreck everyone. And it's like, it's like, that is a crazy, crazy like event that just like changed how, because they hadn't seen dragons mm-hmm. before in Westeros. Like it hadn't existed before they, they came over with them. I always use the analogy in Westerosi war that dragons are like nukes. Boats are like airplanes because they give you a huge supply and transportation bonus and you need to have like the materials to make them and then horses and dire wolves are like you know uh, like horses as in like knighted armored mounts or like, like cavalry uh, yeah 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 they're like tanks and right things of that nature like your advanced soldiers so that's a good call dragons are totally the, the, nukes. Yeah, the like nukes. they are just like overpowered as fuck mm-hmm. like if you have a dragon like you are you see it like daenerys literally takes over yeah. everything just because she has dragons. Like, as soon and, as she gets to Westeros, it's, like, pretty can, easy for her and, to do whatever she wants. And like, similar to real-life principles of mad, mutually assured destruction, as you can kind of see in Dance of Dragons, sometimes with the strategies are like, well, we can't, we don't want to go dragon to dragon. You know what I mean? Like, how similarly, you know, it's not like America and Russia want to just launch nukes back and forth. You kind of... Right, because then out. everything is getting destroyed beyond yeah. repair. Mm-hmm. Um so I had one from Cats Chapter Two. When Rob comes in to talk to her, he opens he opens the windows. That's how he ends up spotting the fire because he wants Bran to hear the wolves. Because like it's been mentioned before, he seems to be healthier when he hears the wolves howling. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just seems like they're pushing that more in the books than in the show. Of like, there is a real connection between the Starks and these wolves that is more than just well they're they're pets like there is like a very strong connection to the fact to the point that and we get into it with the warging later on that like not only brand does but the other ones have these like wolf dreams no people like there is there is like a physical reaction from the starks to Mm -hmm. these wolves like it is not Mm -hmm. just like a pet thing like there is like a like kind of mystical connection there with them no, I was going to say that's why, and I don't know who's confirmed yet or not, but like there's strong theories and, uh, you know, some bits of evidence in the book that like not just Bran, but Aria, John, and Rob may all be wargs as well. Like, like there is. That, well, I think they have like wolf there. dreams. Like other, yeah. I forget who it was, but mm-hmm. someone, the, the other does have wolf dreams. Aria does a hundred percent. I believe John does. Yeah. Well. I think John does too. I know Aria did. Um, Sansa doesn't really like so you know Lady yeah. is there with her but like she kind of has the least connection with them I think for um, obvious reasons sure and then uh, my last uh, making the eight piece was from Sansa's chapter real quick one you mentioned it uh, names of weapons in in uh, Game of Thrones the Song of Ice and Fire are very important you know you got a yeah, good blade has a has a nice name. We've we've learned that with needle and uh, and uh, what is Ned Stark's uh, ice? Ice, uh, you know. And so uh, Joffrey names his sword Lion's Tooth. Terrible name. Which is Just a way quick observation. Hard, awful name. I mean, Lion's Tooth is a way, way, way better name than the name he has for a sword at the Battle of the Blackwater, which is Heartsbane. Which I don't even know, yeah. like what. The, and then. 
uh, right before his wedding, he gets a Valerian steel sword from his father that he names Widow's Whale, which honestly, that might be his best one, just purely out of kind of cool, but like it doesn't sound it doesn't roll Widow's Whale. (laughs) Yeah, it's like kind of menacing, doesn't really roll off the tongue. Bad at naming weapons. Do you Gets think, a lot of cool blades, bad at naming Do you them. think that when Joffrey found out about, like, you know, everybody's saying that my my mom and my uncle fucked and that threw my real parents, do you think at that moment he was like, and here I was walking around with a sword with a lion's head on it, pulling at lion's tooth. Like, he was really leaning yeah. into all of that, you know? He, well, well, that's the thing. He is like raised a Lannister, not yeah. a Baratheon. He's like yeah, such crazy. a Lannister through and through. Mm-hmm. It should have all been obvious. Okay. Um, so then for my making of the eight, um, first off, I'm going to have Tyrion mentions uh, how the Flinty Hills uh, in the north turn into mountains. Those mountains host mountain clams that one day when Jon Snow is Lord Commander and Stannis the Manus Baratheon are up north and they want to free a fake Arya Stark from Winterfell, those mountain clans are very, very uh, loyal to old Ned Stark and a Ned Stark's girl being held captive in those things, uh, in those mountains or in that town. So uh, just know that those mountains hold loyal men. Um. Another one is Tyrion loves this line that he says um, to Benjamin Stark um, in this chapter. Um, he loves saying that he's so small that it'll be easy to have room for him. He says it again when um, Catelyn spots him when he is at the inn on the crossroads where he gets taken from by her. Um, I wanted to mention a few things about the dragons um, from when Tyrion sees the dragons. First off, uh, this is something that has been talked about and might have been a retcon fix. Uh, It's mentioned that the oldest dragon skulls that were in the Red Keep were 3,000 years old. The Targaryens came to um, Westeros like 300 years ago. So that doesn't make Mm -hmm. sense. Some people have speculated that maybe the Targaryens brought old Dragonstone's skulls with them to Dragonstone when they fled Valeria, and that then those dragon skulls found their way into the Red Keep. That's the only way for that to make sense. Another little mistake that is in there um, based on stuff that gets changed is Tyrion says that Maraxus's skull is bigger than Vagar's. Uh, Balerion the Black Dread was the biggest of the three dragons. They were Balerion, Maraxes, and Vagar. Maraxes died first. She died during the conquering of Dorne. Dorne famously was not conquered with the other seven kingdoms right away. The Dornish actually shot a uh, bolt that went into its eye and killed Maraxis <laughs> about a hundred-ish. Uh, yeah, yeah, like a hundred years before Vagar died. As we all know, in House of Dragons, Vagar is still alive. Vagar grew to be larger than Maraxes. So that is actually a first bookism that Maraxes' skull is larger. Vagar um, is who Aemond rides? Yes, yeah. Yes, And right. uh, who... Um, is uh, oh, uh, when we see uh, Vagar in House of the Dragon, she is almost, but notably not as big as Balerion the Black Dread. Um, mm-hmm. Tyrion also mentions imagining 
uh, how large Balerion must have been based on his skull. And he talks about, like, imagine seeing Balerion fly. Notably, two riots at two totally different eras broke out in King's Landing because there was civil unrest. And then Balerion, the Black Dread, and its rider at the time. Uh, at one point, it was Aegon the Conqueror. At a different point, it was his son, Megar the Cruel, returned to King's Landing. And the mere sight of Balerion the Black Dread returning set the populace into such a panic that riots uh, broke out. Um, I always thought that was kind of interesting. The Field of Fire, as you mentioned, Mike, um, the Field of Fire is a very famous part of Aegon's conquering, and it's really kind of when the conquering was all but over. Aegon the Conqueror lands. Um, the first person he has to deal with is actually um, this guy who was a Dardarian, which was the Storm Kings before Baratheons got Storm's End. So this dude was named uh, the Storm King. He was all like, hey, Aegon, team up with me and we'll take out Heron the Black, who famously lived in Heron Hall. Um, Aegon refused to end up conquering him. They conquer Aegon or uh, Heron the Black. So they've got the Riverlands and the Iron Islands and the Stormlands at this point all conquered. The Westerlands, the Lannisters, and um, these guys named the Gardeners, who were the heads of the Reach at the time, combined all the power of the Reach and the Westerlands, builds a massive army. And as you said, the three dragons all come down on it together at once and just roast some 4,000 men alive. And um, it completely destroyed the Gardener line to the point that when Aegon the Conqueror flew to Hightower, he found the Gardener's stewards, a guy named Tyrell, who he then said, well, guess it's your castle now, which is very funny because the Tyrells are therefore not as old as some other families in the reach, such as the Hightowers, which causes like a bit of oh, well, my family, you know, we're better than the Tyrells. The Tyrells got handed their position. You get a little bit of that in the reach. I always find that interesting. Catelyn mentions um, that she's nervous that she's never going to see Bran laugh again. Uh, Bran laughs again, but Catelyn never sees it because when Catelyn wakes up, she rides south and her and Bran never see each other ever again. Find that interesting. That is a good point. Mm-hmm. A very uh, interesting tidbit here is that George R. R. Martin is on the record that he greatly regrets making the dagger Valerian Steel, which is something funny that you had mentioned earlier about, like, why would you give up this web? He says, like, man, after that first book, I really, like, decided that Valerian Steel was going to be a much bigger deal and, like, right. like, shouldn't have made that Valerian Steel. Like, it was kind of wasteful. It kind of didn't make sense. It was kind of stupid for what I intended of this metal. Well, and, you know, that's a good point to make. And you've, like, mentioned a couple of the, the mistakes and, the, like, kind of revisions. And he's like, oh, well, with the 3,000 years and it was really 300, you know, those yeah. kind of, like, inconsistencies. We've mentioned it with Tyrion, like, being, mm -hmm. like, you know, his legs not really working, but him doing front flips and stuff. And I think that's a it's good to point out that, like, these, like, especially in, like, fantasy series like this, especially really long, like, large books and a bunch of them, it is, like, hard to build these like big worlds from the beginning and then like you said like he decided he wanted valerian steel to be like way more important and he's like fuck i already put it in as like kind of a throwaway thing just to just to kind of prove that it's a valuable dagger to kind of tie to the lannisters he made a valerian steel and um 
you know, that happens in fantasy series a lot or or just long fiction series in general because you're trying to create such an in-depth, like, world mm-hmm. from the beginning. And uh, and you even, like, it's, that happens in Lord of the Rings, too. I was actually recently uh, reading, uh, started reading the Lord of the Rings book, and they say in a little, you know, before the book starts, there's, like, a little page, and it's like, you know, this book has, you know, was re- uh, originally released in 1937 and then like kind of re-released a couple times. Mm-hmm. And like there were d- different changes in it to kind of make, make the, the sequels make more sense. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it, you know, we can point out these things and it's kind of cool to find them. They're almost a little more like Easter egg stuff, but uh, it's like not something you want to harp on and be like, ah, he yeah. really fucked up making this Valyrian steel. It's like, it's just kind of fun to find yeah. those inconsistencies almost mm-hmm. too. Of you know, course. it's like a of game course. of it. Mm-hmm. And then I had two more. Um, this one isn't that big. Just uh, there's a lot of mention in Sansa's chapter about Rhaegar's rubies um, during the climactic battle at the Trident, which is where Rhaegar and Robert Baratheon finally met on the battlefield. Rhaegar was wearing black uh, plate armor, with a sigil of the red three-headed dragon of House Targaryen on his chest, mounted in pure rubies. And when Robert hit him with his warhammer and killed him and crushed in his breastplate, uh, the dragon, like, exploded and the rubies flew everywhere. And it is even said at the time that, like, some of the knights and people fighting just dropped their weapons and dove onto the ground and started grabbing jewels. And, you know, it's one of those things that sort of became an old wives' tale, much like what we see Munchak and uh Arya do in this chapter like kids and people for generations look through the river to try to find some of those rubies and lastly you keep i gotta say you keep getting farther and farther from his name mike and i do yeah. love it but it just yeah. turned into munchak somehow yeah <laughs> yeah old munchak i really caught myself that time doing it but uh and then my last bit of foreshadowing which i never caught until this read through and i'm really proud of myself for this one is um Sansa tries to convince Arya to join her in the queen's uh, like carriage with uh, Marcella, and she says no. Like I'd rather hang out here with Nymeria, and she says like, oh well, they wouldn't have wanted you and your wolf anyway. And she goes to walk away, and Arya yells out like, well, they're not going to let Lady with them either. And it's a big like, as we find out in literally the very next chapter, uh, Cersei Lannister and Lannisters don't give a shit about which wolves are well-behaved and who's trained and responsible with them. Mm-hmm. They see them all as beasts, all as power tools of the Stark. And even the lady never does anything wrong uh, and, and is a perfect specimen and Sansa's perfect for Cersei. Cersei still punishes lady, as we will soon see. Um, mm-hmm. All right, now to wrap things up, Mikey, we have our hypotheticals we always do. And this time, uh, we went a little outside the box uh, Rob, as we've mentioned, had to make some appointments in this chapter. He had to hire a steward, a how the head of the house guard, and a master of horse. I am going to administer to you a medieval job interview, and hopefully you will prove yourself worthy enough to fill one of those positions. If not, I suppose uh, we're going to be hard-pressed, and we're going to have to bring in new candidates. Are you ready? Okay. All right. Let's hit me with it. All right. let's uh, well, first, uh, hello. I'm LD. Nice to meet you. I'm master of whispers. Oh, oh, nice. Very nice. Uh, So first question. Um, A storm has hit a important port town in your realm. 
uh, the head of the town writes to you and asks that he not pay taxes for this quarter and instead use that money to rebuild the docks and the harbor for the betterment of the people. Uh, what do you say? I say as an important port town, mm-hmm. I'm going to allow allow you to forego your taxes for a little bit because thinking, you know, the realm needs that port to be prosperous. It needs mm-hmm. it to be functional. And it would hurt me in the long run more than just missing a couple months of taxes. Okay. All right. That's that's very interesting. Um, there are brigands reported in the Wolf's Wood, but we are far enough in winter that the winter's town is filled. And therefore, uh, a portion of guards need to remain at Winterfell. How do you take care of the brigands in the Wolf's Wood? Mm. Um. That's a good question. If you need to keep your, you know, it's most important that you keep Winterfell, uh, you know, well protected. So you don't want to send out your guards. Mm-hmm. Maybe you send some young squires to earn a little bit of uh, renown by handling mm-hmm. these brigands in the woods. Okay. All right. That's certainly an idea. Um, you have 10 horses and six bales of hay. Uh, the Night's Watch comes to curry your favor and request that some fresh mounts be sent to their castle what do you do i have 10 horses and six bales of hay yes i'm giving them four mounts keeping keeping an even number of uh horses and Mm -hmm. hay bales oh okay now you definitely got the job i don't have enough hay for all the horses i feel you i feel you Uh, you definitely have the job and i was leaning towards making you the steward but you honestly impressed me with that horse math there. I think you're going to be the master of horses here, which is a, which by the way is a great job. I don't know why. Uh, uh, what's her name? Is it? Yeah. Is that a good job? <laughs> you're a master of something. I'd rather be the master of horses than the kennel master. The dogs are just for like hunting and play. Horses. That's where all the power is. If you're not locked mm. to the to the sea, the horse master controls the means of transportation. Okay, I can get behind that. I'll take that job. I accept. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, we'll, we'll be paying you twelve gold or uh, twelve silver stags every five days. How does that sound? That sounds like a good a good salary. Any Valyrian um, steel involved in this salary? Or uh, no, unfortunately, sounds like that's throwing around pretty easy. Unfortunately, we've decided that that's more rare than it used to be. So uh, we're holding. Yeah. Order. Okay. Good. All right. I think this was a great packed episode. Um, some great chapters. Like I said, these are really uh, where I think the story starts getting going. So um, I think this is our longest one yet. Yeah, definitely. So thank you guys for joining us again. Uh, Mikey, if you have any last words for your, for your little birds out there, now's the time to speak them. Uh, excited to be back after uh, you know a week or so off. So uh, we're going to get back into it. I think there's some cool chapters. Like we said, we're spreading out a little bit from Winterfell. So uh, it's going to be fun to see where that goes next. Yep. Things are definitely going to be kicking off. Thank you guys for joining us and we will see you next week. All right.